0: We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia.
1: Welcome to Freedom of Species where a show that brings animal advocacy to the airwaves of 3CR Community Radio. You just heard Sally with Out of the Pan and yeah, throughout the lockdown it was nice to connect with other 3CR presenters including Sally online but it's even better to be able to see people in person. So great to see Sally hosting the show again from inside the studio and great for us to be back here live in the studio as well. Make sure you check out Out of the Pan for all things pansexual. That is 12 till 1 every Sunday on 3CR you can also catch up on episodes you miss via the 3CR website. So today we are going to be joined by um, Christy Alger, and we're also going to introduce Caroline to the Freedom of Species team. So, yeah, welcome to the um, welcome to the show, Caroline. And do you want to just talk a little bit about um, yeah, Christy Elger and the interview coming up in about fifteen minutes or so?
2: Yeah, sure. So Christy is an ab- animal liberationist and author. She has a blog called Writing Liberation, which is published on Medium. She also writes editorials for Farm Transparency Project. And in late 2020, Christy released her first book, which is called Five Essays for Freedom, a Political Primer for Animal Advocates. Christy's been involved in activism since around 2011. And she's a committee member of Animal Liberation Tasmania. So great. very excited to have her on.
1: Yeah, so stay tuned for that. Again, about 15 minutes or so, um, yeah, Christy is going to be joining us over the phone. We're also joined by Freedom of Species host Adam Cardellini. Thanks for joining us, Adam. Ahoy. And we're going to start things off by giving listeners a bit of background uh, in terms of Caroline's animal activism and attitudes towards animals, all those kind of things. Give so a listeners a bit of background now that Caroline is going to be a regular host of the show. So do you want to just talk a bit about maybe how you started thinking differently about animals or more deeply about animals in, in the first place? Was there a certain mm. spark for that?
2: Yeah, look... There certainly was. Um, I think I really became first aware of issues um, involving animals and the way that we regard animals um, as a teenager. And there were some things that really, I guess, sparked that awareness for me, which were um, a lot of the advocacy that Animal Liberation Victoria would do around, um, around chickens and hens in battery cages. So that was a real shock to me to, to sort of learn about that. And the other thing was uh, the awful practice of clubbing baby seals and I read a lot about that um, happening in Canada through the 70s and and 80s and was just really shocked that uh, so-called advanced societies would think that that was acceptable. So those probably were the two things that really um, sparked my awareness of the way we um, commoditize animals. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and, and do you want to talk a bit about some of the activism you've been involved with? I know you've been on the show as a guest a while back. Um, mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about some of the yeah some of the campaigns and, and issues you've been involved with yeah. as, as an animal, animal activist? Sure.
2: So yeah, I was on the show I think in late 2018 um, after Melbourne Cow Save had a um, protest with Animal Justice Party. And we were protesting uh, PBR, which is a really big uh, bull riding association within Australia, and that's a global organisation. And each year they have their, um, I guess, penultimate event, which they call the Melbourne Invitational at the Melbourne Arena. So we've had protests there for, you know, probably four or so years. And I came on the show um, with Angie Medic from the Animal Justice Party. To, to talk about that particular protest. So that's something that we continue to campaign um, around, bull riding, which is quite, um, still quite predominant in, within, across Australia. And it's something that we feel really strongly about that, you know, it's really high time that these kind of events um, finish. There's a growing awareness I think that people have around not using animals um, in circuses. There's a lot of people who uh, no longer support horse racing, but a lot of people really aren't aware that bull riding still um, still continues. Yeah.
3: Are there other um, other campaigns or issues that you have followed in the past or been part of in the past?
2: Yeah, yeah, so. I've been involved in um, quite a few interesting actions, including um, the one planned um, and organised by um, Vegan Rising on the anniversary of the Dominion documentary that was released. So that action was um, in Flinders Street, closing the Flinders Street um, intersection. So that was an incredibly uh, powerful action and you know something that I was really pleased to, to be involved with. And really, uh, lots of other issues that we're um, we're concerned with, from um, I guess a cow save perspective, that I'm still you know really active um, in um, anti dairy actions. I'm also really concerned about um, the use of leather. So there's some some campaigns around that, and I also wanted to mention that an event that uh, Davida and Trev mentioned when they were on recently, we'd planned for Valentine's Day. Uh, we unfortunately couldn't um, go ahead with that because of the lockdown in Melbourne, but we are um, going to um, have that action on Saturday, March 20. So if anyone wants to get involved with that, they can uh, contact us at Melbourne Cow Save on Facebook. So we've, we've actually run that event for a few years on Valentine's Day. Really raising awareness about um, ethical issues related to chocolate, both in the use of dairy and, you know, information about the dairy industry, but also issues around the use of both child and slave labour in the um, cocoa industry. Hmm.
1: Yeah, and I believe people, there's a, I think a group for for volunteers of Melbourne Cow Save, they want to get involved with that on Facebook, Yeah, yeah, so you can... Uh, check that out and I was interested you were talking about these like maybe more obscure uses of cows like Mm. the rodeos that some people might not even know exist particularly those in inner Melbourne uh, versus sort of more ongoing more systematic more things that a lot of people participating like the dairy industry I'm wondering like when you're doing those campaigns against um, bull riding and these kind of yeah more sort of niche markets like do you you try and focus like bringing those other issues like dairy or is it more a matter of just focusing on that issue for that Like, yeah, sort of trying to bring all those issues together or is it more sort of tackling it one one issue at a time?
2: It's generally more one issue at a time, um, particularly relating to, say, say, bull riding. It's been really interesting that while we've protested that particular PBR Melbourne Invitational for, for a few years now, prior to that event, we would generally have a public outreach leafleting event in um, the Bourke Street Mall. and the response of most people is to be really genuinely surprised that in melbourne in in this day and age this kind of thing still goes on like people would would be really shocked to hear you know tonight there's an event down at melbourne arena mm. i suppose yeah. it's one
3: of those one of those things where um, it happens in the rural rural cities and towns. Sure. So I know that certainly in Ballarat and in Geelong there are um, yeah. bull riding events, and they tend to be big events for for a certain crowd, um, and they happen fairly regularly. Yes, um, but yeah, when you get into the middle of Melbourne, far less likely to to come across that sort of um, event. Sure. Yeah, mm.
2: yeah, definitely. Yeah.
3: Yeah, and what
1: what ideas? Uh, and we don't necessarily want to talk about specific guests or whatever because you know we don't know. Yeah. But it's the the general like topics you you're interested in in bringing to the show coming up. Yeah,
2: sure. I'm really interested in. Um, I have lots of ideas, and mm-hmm. I'm really interested in the discussion of ideas, and I think that's that's really important. So, Christy, first off, I think is someone who's going to bring um, a lot of interesting discussion. You know, this afternoon, I do have some other authors um, in mind that I'd really like to bring on the show. Similar to um, Javita and Trev, I'm really interested in how we can um, form alliances with other social justice movements, and I think that's something that we can spend a lot of time um, considering how we can do that better. I'm also really interested in considering and discussing how we can actually further develop our own animal rights advocacy. Mm -hmm. as I feel that there are times when... We could shy away from some critical analysis and really looking back over what has actually been successful, what has really resonated with people, what's actually alienated people. So I'd really like to explore ideas around that as well.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and I think we were discussing this after the show last week that there's this sort of common um, idea in the movement we don't want to infight, but also we shouldn't go mm-hmm. so far the other way that we don't look critically at uh, not just like the other campaigns that other people do in the movement, but even our own activism and like mm-hmm. being critical mm-hmm. of that and trying to do better as well. And I think sometimes the, the the sort of the, the, the discussion is tipped too far the other way of no infighting means no critical discussion on campaigns and how we can do better as a movement. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. All right, let's go to a song and then we can, um, we'll be joined by Christy Elgar on the phone after this song. So, this is a song that Christy has uh, chosen, which is um, Sunday, Bloody Sunday by U2.
4: Renata from the IWG Collective. We're calling feminists of all genders and feminist allies. March 8th is International Women's Day and this year it's special as it's also Labor Day in Victoria and a public holiday. This year's rally in March will kick off at 2 p.m. at the steps of Parliament House and then we'll make our way through the CBD to the State Library. Come early and be part of a momentous event. There will also be a limited after-party at the Queen Victoria Women's Centre. See you there. A 3CR supporter. As we go marching, marching, we're standing...
1: Welcome back to Freedom of Species on 3CR Community Radio. Uh, we we're going to be speaking to Christy Alger, um, but we're having some trouble getting a hold of her. Um, and so we're going to be discussing some recent animal rights and vegan news stories instead. Um, and yeah, we might get hold of Christy another time, but for now we'll be discussing these articles um, and yeah um actually let's let's start off with my one because it's quite a short one and then we'll go to adams which is a bit longer so we're going to be um Starting off with an article, um, Oatly denied trademark for its "like milk but for humans" slogan, as consumers know cows' milk is for calves. This is from veganfoodandliving.com, uh, published in 9th of November 2020. And so I'm just going to read through the article, and, and either of you feel free to jump in if you have anything to sort of uh, comment on this article. But uh, Swedish brand Oatly has been denied a trademark for their lo- for their line "It's like milk but made for humans." For the bizarre reason that people know cow's milk is for calves.
3: Do you, um, do you know which um, jurisdiction this, uh, um, this limitation was? Is it the European or is it a, the US? I think that was happening in multiple places. Oh, uh, okay. And I know that there was a change, like there was limitations placed in Europe. Mm. Um, around the use of terms around dairy or milk-like or...
1: It looks like um, it's an EU decision, I believe. Um, It says the ruling has been made on the basis that the average person in English-speaking EU market understands milk is, in fact, intended for calves. Mm. Uh, but they said it completely contradicts the EU's decision to place a ban on companies using terms like "cheese style" and "butter alternative" to describe plant-based dairy products. <laughs> um, how can consumers be aware that milk is intended for calves, but simultaneously be deceived by a packet of vegan cheese? Um, so
3: <laughs> I feel like the EU is trying to have their vegan vegan milk and eat it too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: um, and yeah. yeah, and and so again, um, this is a comment from Oatly's the the brand told plant-based news uh, does the average consumer whoever that is really believe that milk is not good for the body and is meant for baby cows Um, at the same time in a society that apparently believes that milk is not good for the human body here in the UK there are still government funded campaigns pushing for the consumption of of more dairy Mm. Um, and yeah I I just wanted to raise I thought it was an interesting one of the I guess the speciesism within the the legal system so there's obviously this always rhetoric. It's neutral and no one's above the law, and it's sort of this objective thing. Um, but there's obviously all kinds of biases that, that play out within the legal system. I often think about it in the in the context of you know judges. There's often a you know a, a male bias, a white bias, an upper class bias that they mm-hmm. sort of the lens they they see the world through. Um, but also when uh, they're talking about animal issues, the sort of the speciesism that is kind of pervasive within society, including judges and and those with in the legal system, when they're talking about what would an ordinary person see or what would a reasonable person see, they're sort of seeing it through that speciesist lens. I thought that was an interesting article. Yeah, and I
3: mean, all of these, all of these laws are really heavily, um, sort of pushed by big lobby groups, big mm. milk lobby, dairy lobby groups no. who have yeah. a lot of a lot of um, power. I suppose uh, we're seeing the same thing in in America. I think who mm. they went after Miyoko's Kitchen um, around terms like cheese style or cheese or vegan cheese and mm. things like that and I think mm. there was certain terms that were no longer allowed to use mm. um, but there, there was a there was a win on a couple of things mm. so this sort of rollout of um, pushing back against vegan dairy mm. is mm. Um, is happening all over the world unfortunately yeah mm. mm. and it was inter- the other thing I saw on this topic is that it was interesting that um, greenpeace um, World Wildlife Fund and a couple of other big NGOs have actually uh, sort of come out saying that the EU's decision in terms of oatly mm. is is wrong mm. and is bad and mm. it's bad for the environment and things. Which these companies are usually, um, oh sorry, these companies they act like companies. <laughs> these NGOs are very often shy to take on the uh, or or be seen anywhere close to animal issues mm. uh, yeah. in terms of animal sort of vegan issues. Mm. Yeah
1: yeah and I, I do remember seeing something on this on um, the feed on SBS I don't know if anyone watches oh, yes. that show but uh, Mark Fennell who's one of the hosts of that show um, and isn't particularly you know, vegan orientated but we, with this whole discussion he was speaking to some farmer and he was saying well like in terms of these things like calling non-dairy milk or cheese or whatever like he was saying well how do you use the product so milk mm-hmm. isn't so much saying it's from cows it's like well that can go on your tea that can go on your cereal mm-hmm. so why like what's the problem with calling it milk and also also, these farmers' federations, another thing that always I think he pointed out but also has always sort of stood out to me is that these farmers' things representing farmers, also mm-hmm. like all the, the plant milks, they're all created by farmers as well and we often only think of farmers <laughs> exactly. as the animal farmers. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's
2: right. Yeah. And speaking about plant-based news, they've run a campaign, I think for about the last four years um, called World Plant Milk Day mm. every August and locally we've actually um, run a milk tasting uh, to coincide with that, which has been hugely successful. People are really interested in the range of milks that are that are now mm. available and people may be reluctant to go and buy a carton of milk because I don't know if I like macadamia milk or mm. soy or whatever it might be, um, but these have been you know, hugely successful and it's a great opportunity to get people tasting different milks, talking about milk, mm. sharing information about the dairy industry, which is really quite shocking as we know. Uh, people really enjoy that. And some some milk-related sort of facts
3: and, and things. Um, well, actually, I'll start with, you know, if you're someone that drinks um, cow's milk at the moment and you're not sure about dairy milk... Um, Give it a go. Oh, you're not sure about um, plant-based, yeah, plant-based. Yeah, plant-based milks. Give it a go. I was one of those people when I first went vegan, where I really didn't like the flavour of soy milk. Mm-hmm. So start with something like bonsoy, which is a little bit more expensive, mm-hmm. but pretty, pretty um, doesn't have that nutty soy flavour. Mm-hmm. And and then as after a month, this is sort of a research or a sciencey side of things. Mm. After a month or thereabouts, your your body sort of changes its its tastes. And mm. if you drink soy milk, even a really strong soy milk for about a month or two, mm. you, you won't be able to tell the, tell the difference. Yeah. You'll be mm. ad- ad- adopted, uh, adapted to it. And th- uh, I suppose the other thing around um, this issue is what's, the old, what's that old saying? First, they'll laugh at you, then mm. they'll fight you, mm. and then then you win or whatever. Mm. It's sort of like I think, I think we're in stage two. Like mm. they were 10 years ago. They were laughing at Mm. Plant-based milks now. Mm-hmm. Plant-based milks take up a big section of the supermarket aisle. Mm. People are jumping on board. There's about fifty of them that mm. you can try, yeah. and people like it. Mm. They really like it, and yeah. this is what the dairy industry is fearing that yeah. it's actually catch on, yeah. and is catching on actually. Um, and then the last thing I'll say on 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 soy milk. Sorry, I've got a lot of, lot to lot to get <laughs> out. It sounds like. Um, <laughs> Is that there, there's been some research on the nutritional qualities of um, different milks, and when it's like for like, soy milk is the closest to um, a nut- nutritional profile of dairy or cow's milk, and it has some some things that are actually better, um, some things that are a little bit lower. Um, but so if you if you're worried about the nutrition of of plant based milks, certainly a soy milk is sort of as close as you're going to get mm. to mm. a dairy milk if, if that's what you're worried about but there's a lot of great milks out there Mm. Mm. yeah
1: and i think also sometimes when people have that sort of negative reaction to plant-based milks it's not that it actually tastes bad it just tastes different like you've got a certain idea in your head about how milk is meant to taste and then it's different so you sort of Mm -hmm. have that negative reaction like i've had the same once or twice when i've been given dairy milk by accident and it tastes really strange now that i Mm -hmm. haven't drunk it for for so many years and i think people have that same reaction with soy milk but as adam said your taste adjusts over time and also you can sort of ease into it with some of the more neutral kind of tasting soy milks as well Um, but yeah i think they're really threatened by this move towards plant-based milks the fact that even like the fact that people are making a choice now like Mm. some people are still choosing dairy milk but it's like this thing of like do you prefer cow's milk do you prefer almond milk etc whereas before Mm. it was like everyone it wasn't even a decision people made it was like everyone drinks cow's milk some people might be lactose intolerant or whatever Mm. basically Mm. that was just the default milk and now that it's sort of just one of many options i think the dairy industry is really worried which is where we Mm. see these lawsuits Mm. around language used and stuff like that definitely yeah now we have (laughs) other
3: other milk plant-based milk hierarchies where You know, soy is obviously at the top.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think for people who really enjoy the taste of dairy milk, oat milk is a very good option. I've heard that, yeah. In fact, I've been a big soy milk drinker. It's my Mm -hmm. favourite. Me recently trying to um, adopt oat milk because it has a lower, uh, I guess, carbon footprint, uses Mm. less resources.
4: Mm
2: -hmm. I don't really enjoy it. And the main reason is it's extremely creaming and it reminds me of drinking dairy. Mm. So I think for there people who want to, um, you know, dip their toe in the water, so to speak, with plant-based milk, that's a really good one to, to try. Mm.
3: That, 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 that's a good point as well, like the innovation that's happening in this space. This this mm. area is is really like... 10, maybe 15 years old. Certainly there was cheeses and there was milks before 15 years ago, but it was about 10 years ago where people started to experiment. Everything started off as cashew cheeses, for instance. Mm. You'd just be buying cashew cheeses. Now there's cheeses from every, like there's oat cheeses, which are way cheaper than cashew mm. nuts. Um, and there's macadamia cheeses and there's all these almond cheese, all these different types. So we're really in... At the early stages of these plant-based dairies, and I think the the skies are limit. I I regularly so one of my favourite food like um, lunches is to go and buy a really nice sourdough, get some um che- plant-based cheeses, and just have bread and cheese, and it's delicious. Mm. The cheeses are so good. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Mm.
1: Yeah, and I was going to say as well, I um, actually just listened to a podcast and Adam's definitely the expert or more so than me on these kind of issues, but it was on the podcast called Science Versus where they take a certain Mm. issue and look into the science of it and they looked into non-dairy milks, like which is the best of the, because I think they'd finished the last episode by basically saying how bad dairy was for the environment Mm -hmm. Um, and they went through them and basically their conclusion was that all of them have pros and cons, like almond Mm. milk has higher water use, I think rice milk might have a higher carbon footprint um, all these I think soy might be more land use than the others mm. and so there are all those different ones but they basically said like all of them even their negative aspect is still better than dairy so they are saying significantly that, yeah so the bigger <laughs> question is is like that—that that is an important question which plant-based milk to drink but they mm. said the bigger question is is make sure you're drinking plant, yeah. plant-based plant milk rather than dairy milk that's the biggest yeah. thing you can do for yeah. the environment yeah. and yeah it,
3: it's it's way better like significantly mm-hmm. I think it might be an order of magnitude better for, for climate and mm-hmm. things like that so yeah. certainly mm-hmm. on the environmental front there's there's just no argument
1: yeah yeah and that, that was interesting to kind of see that with outside of an animal and vegan context as well just within this sort of science um, mm. podcast yeah
2: yeah so can i um also add some information about the dairy industry yeah because mm. obviously yeah. i can talk about this for a long time yeah yeah, but bringing it back to an australian context um i've read some um information and figures from dairy australia and a report that was um, tabled around June 2018. So we currently exploit around 1.56 million cows each year for their milk. And over the last three decades, Australian dairy cows have been selectively bred to double their lactation each year. So in addition to genetic alterations, dairy cows are subject to a continuous cycle of calving milk, milking and artificial insemination that, you know, it's positively exhausting. And it's really quite alarming to know that the um, producing the peak yield of around 35 litres of milk per day has been compared to a person jogging for six hours, seven days a week. Mm. So Australian dairy representatives have said that the industry standard is now around 30 to 50 litres per day with some cows producing up to a massive 60 litres of milk per day. So that trend towards, you know, higher milk output, larger herd sizes and the growth of, you know, indoor production systems have all really increased pressure on dairy cows. And so unsurprisingly, they are physically worn out before their natural life expectancy. And once their milk yield drops, they're sent to slaughter. So cows that, you know, may live a natural life expectancy of 20 years often won't actually live past five to six years in the dairy industry, Mm. which is just awful Mm. and unacceptable.
3: And even for those people who might be like, oh, they're sent to slaughter, then then they're used in... I don't know some, something like um, dog food or something. They're not always sent to slaughter either. Mm. They'll just be thrown in a, in a pit out the back mm. of a dairy farm, depending on where that dairy farm exists. Yeah. You know, it's yeah okay and um
1: yeah and i think also um yeah and i think the the environmental discussions are important um but yeah i think those animal things are me Mm. for me the environment is more a bonus really that's more about the animals but Mm. um maybe we will get a song um and then we'll be back with more after this so um what have we got we've got uh beastie boys with uh sabotage
4: The Good Immigrant Kadunand presented weekly in Turkish on Thursday evenings from 6.30 to 7pm starting on 4th of March. Görüşmek üzere.
0: This is Pressure MC from the Hilltop Hoods. Hey, what's up? This is Safa from the Hilltop Hoods. You're listening to 3CR, 8.55am on your dial. Support Community Radio and subscribe now.
2: Hi, Christy. It's Caroline. And I'm here with uh, Nick and Adam. We're so happy to have you on the show.
0: I'm so sorry that I got so caught up in what I was doing and lost track of of reality. I'm so very sorry, how how professional. <laughs>
2: ah, it's fine, It's fine, we're really happy to have you with us.
0: Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. So I might kick off by saying I read an interview that you did uh, last year with Medium, where you mentioned yes. that one of your strengths is your use of words. And something that I didn't know, that you have an honours degree in ancient Latin literature. So can you tell yes. us a little bit about your passion for writing and how that aligns with your advocacy?
0: Well, I've always been uh, really fascinated with reading and with the, the ability to to communicate ideas through the written word and how you know something that seems so static as a written word can evoke... So many images and ideas and, and concepts and you know, words, can, they can spark revolutions. They, mm. can, they can inspire us to act. They can bring us to tears. They can make us laugh. And so when I first started uh, my involvement in animal advocacy, my focus really was on the ground action, you mm-hmm. know, vigils, protests, that sort of thing. But as I've come along on this amazing journey of advocacy and, and, you know, the people I've met and the, the influences uh, who I've encountered, the written word has just started to come back to me as just such an important facet of advocacy that is so often overlooked. Mm. And so now I'm really inspired to try and reach people on a, a political or an emotional level through language and the written word.
2: Fantastic.
3: And whereabouts are you doing that, Christy? Where, where can I, people find your work?
0: Uh, because I was actually going to say, oh, you could find me at my desk in my house. That's <laughs> not quite what you're asking. Um, so I'm at uh, Writing Liberation on Medium. Um, I do write for the Farm Transparency Project with their editorials. I do some work for revolutionaries um, mm-hmm. with some blog pieces and, of course, my book, Five mm-hmm. Essays for Freedom is available at revolutionaries.com. Um, and, of course, I'm on Instagram as well, uh, Writing Liberation, where I try just to reach people with with ideas.
3: Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so I, I wonder, like, so it sounds like you've written quite a lot, actually. Do you um, have any particular stories or any particular forms of writing that you find have really um, touched people do you have any thoughts on that what works so
0: yeah um, so I have a very eclectic writing style so I'll do some very academic statistics based writing um, you know very factual based and then I'll, I'll switch into a really emotive um, way of writing with personal stories um, so throughout my work you'll, I'll often provide examples of situations I've encountered or animals who I've encountered um, on Instagram, I found condensing material into um, info posts you know, with slides where you just you, you condense it down to make it really accessible has been really, really popular with people and, and people respond really well to that. I think people can feel a bit overwhelmed if you, you chuck an encyclopedia at them and expect them to to take everything on board. So it depends on what audience. Um, it depends on mm. my mood and, and what idea I'm trying to uh, conceptualise.
2: Mm. I really love your book, Christy, Five Essays for Freedom. Thank and you. Your f- mm. And your focus on the politics of animal use and exploitation that's vital for animal rights advocates to understand. Mm. And for me, one of the most powerful aspects of the book is the challenge, I guess, to the animal rights movement to extend its scope beyond the promotion of apolitical vegan consumerism in order to create the conditions for animal justice. So can you outline for us your own, I guess, political awakening?
0: Uh, So I was born into a very political family. Um, We used to fight over politics constantly. Um, My parents would make us watch the news and then basically instigate fights between my sister and I um, that sometimes turn physical. Um, And so as I've grown up, you know, being uh, exposed to a lot of uh, different political influences, um, I've progressively, I guess, for want of a better word, become radicalised, away from from more central ways of thinking, or centrist ways of thinking towards a very radical view of the world, where it is founded in justice, anti-capitalism, tending towards anarchism, I guess, in many respects. I don't really like to put a a label on it.
4: Mm -hmm.
0: And so being in the vegan movement um, for almost 10 years, I've seen how consumerism is really taking the focal point of the movement. You know, what we can buy, what we can eat, you know, the T-shirt brands and the, the people we follow, the influencers. And not a lot of people are really engaging with the hardcore politics, or at least the most visible people aren't engaging with the hard core of politics that is at the heart of this movement. And so we're, we're actually, um, we're really, really disabling the ability of the movement to have impact through politics, and not just on a a government level, but the socio-politics, the the politics of economy, the politics of relationships, and we really need to understand how these politics all interact and work with one another to enable the exploitation of other animals and of of the environment and of humans, if we're going to see justice done. Mm
1: Yeah, I had a question on the topic of radicalization because, yeah, I agree with you. I have really sort of positive connotations of the word radical and i think of challenging uh capitalism and speciesism in these radical ideas um at the same time there's also a lot of you know government programs about de-radicalization radicalization Radicalization being spoken about in negative sense uh white supremacy for example um so yeah just wondering your ideas uh, like your thoughts on this idea of promoting uh radical ideas in this environment where um yeah radicalization has this negative connotation. And also wanted to say on a side note, it's good to be discussing these ideas on 3CR, which is the slogan is radical radio. So it's a good place to be discussing these ideas.
0: It sure is. I mean, radical ideas, radicalism, radicalization, they have such negative connotations as you said. And, and rightly we should be pushing back against those radicalized ideas that are um, causing harm to other people, are entrenching marginalisation, and, and upholding oppressions. But there's nothing wrong with being radical. Like, you know, radicalism, when you are fighting for the justice of people and animals and environment around you, simply means you're stepping beyond the accepted norms of, you know, what you're expected to do, you know. You're expected you turn up to the protest, you hold a sign you shout for your chance, and you go home, and that's the normal thing you're supposed to do. Whereas, you know, radical can simply mean just stepping outside that protest model and taking it to the gates of a slaughterhouse. Mm-hmm. Or it can mean, you know, stepping outside of your home and away from your keyboard and setting up a, a food stall for houseless people against council ordinance. It can, you know... that. There's just so much positivity that can come with radical ideas and we shouldn't let governments um, and we shouldn't let you know, um, oppressive peoples really um, turn the notion of radical into a negative. We really need to push back against that and claim it, reclaim it as a positive
3: Mm-hmm. On, on that sort of concept and that idea of radicalization, something um, struck me that you mentioned earlier, which is that, you know, the the growth of the consumerist sort of vegan um, advocacy, I suppose, is, is one way to talk about it. And, you know, influences people like, influencers within the movement don't talk or aren't political. Why do you think people are drawn towards people who aren't political? Why are they drawn towards a consumerist um, style of, of advocacy rather than a more political and more radical um, style of advocacy?
0: I think because it's easy, to be honest. um, It's very easy to walk into a supermarket and instead of pe- picking up the sausages made from cow flesh, you pick up the sausages made out of plants. It's a very easy step to switch over to. It's very easy to click like and follow on Instagram and, and just, you know, follow the words of these people who make you feel good about yourself because you bought the sausages made from plants. You don't have to engage any further. And because life is so complex and, and difficult as it is, adding that extra layer and the complexities of being political, I think a lot of people have an aversion to that because life is a struggle as it is. Mm. So I think it's part of this whole notion of the path of least resistance. You know, you you take the easier option because, A, it's dressed up nicer, you know, it's beautifully packaged, it's beautifully filtered, it's easily accessible, and, and you just take that path because it doesn't pose the same challenges as perhaps going to the, the steps of the slaughterhouse or you know, engaging in the political sides of things.
3: I think, and and just one other point, I suppose, that I think about is, particularly in Australia, I can only really speak for Australia here, but we tend to be not a very political um, society, I don't think. Like there's this aversion to uh, about activism and especially, I think, of my parents' generation, um, my dad once said to me the only thing he would be ashamed of me for would be to be a protester. Oh, and every everything you. else he was fine with. And he's just like, but don't oh. protest. Oh. And it's his, I feel like that is there's there's that sort of is part of Australia's um, and you know, governments for for a long time have sort of fomented that, that idea of just be the quiet Australian. Yep, Mm. the the quiet
0: Australian and, you know, the the defunding of universities because universities teach critical thought and are hotbeds of activism and radical ideas and
4: Mm.
0: basically, you know, burdening the general population with the the drudgery and the the difficulties of a nine-to-five and you wake up and you work and you go home and there's no time for anything else. Mm. You know, like, yeah, like, why would you protest? And, yeah, there is that real negative... Connotation of yeah, of protest and activism and challenging thoughts and ideas.
2: Mm. So, just um, now, turning our attention to your book, Christy, Five yep. Essays for Freedom. Which, again, I love the book, so I would encourage people to read it. Where can they find it? Where can uh, they find rev- the book?
0: Uh, Revolutionaries dot com um, online. I I think
4: it's also
2: available
0: at Booktopia.
2: Ah. Cool. Yes. And I'd like to suggest if people do want to read it, they maybe also recommend their local public library gets copies because um, access to resources is really important for people. You raise some really fantastic points, and unfortunately, we don't have time to go through your five essays. Yep. If you don't. (laughs) No, 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 because we could talk for a long time. Um, If we could just maybe focus on one, and I've actually chosen this, which is uh, essay number two, The Animals Only Ideology and the Scope of the Vegan Movement. So you're probably not surprised that I chose that one. (laughs) And in that, you talk about how um, deeply divided the movement is and much of that division centering upon different views regarding the interconnected issues of justice and thereby of the systems of oppression that affects humans and other animals. Do you want to um, outline for us, you know, some of the, the themes and ideas that you raise there?
0: Okay, so in that chapter, I, I really wanted to delve into this, this, the difference between focus and scope.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Because it's something that a lot of people aren't comprehending about the movement. So they say veganism or animal rights is only about the animals and so you don't bring in any human issues. And that's all well and good. But every social justice movement has a focus and then it has a scope. So, yes, the focus is other animals and the exploitation of animals and all the various facets that that uh, manifest. And then your scope is the sum totality of actions and ideas and relationships and networks and, and concepts that you create to achieve justice for the animals. So that means interacting with the broader community. You're you're not going to achieve your focus for the animals if you're not interacting with the broader community who are engaging in the exploitation of other animals. And so that means including in your scope things like food empowerment. Mm. So making sure that communities have access to nutritious plant-based foods, it means... Um, you know, regarding things like the environmental racism of, you know, factory farms and slaughterhouses that are typically constructed in marginalised communities, um, especially in America, um, impacting on communities with a higher population of black uh, people, mm-hmm. and you know, with the the excrement buildup and the pollution and the the, the fouling of water systems. Uh, in these communities, um, you've got to look at things like you know, the education system, you know, who has access to, uh, to an education that sets them up for your critical thought. So there's, there's all those, I could go on forever about everything that you need to include in the scope of that movement, mm-hmm. um, but you can't isolate veganism and animal rights to animals only. Um, without considering focus and scope, because then you're not going to know how to move through, or interact with, or to create connections and networks in the communities that you're supposed to be working with.
3: Mm. And I mean, there's just so many, so many issues that are that, that face animals that are um, impacted by those other those other issues that face communities and people and individuals. Um, so if we don't deal with those those issues faced by communities. We can't actually achieve liberation um for for animals yeah
0: exactly, and I think that's why a lot of people are very opposed to the notion of these interconnected issues being part of a scope is because it is so complex and overwhelming and mm. it can seem so daunting if you just reduce it down to a very simple apolitical for the animals message then it's more uh, it's easier to digest
2: mm. yeah. So just following on from that, I think in this essay, um, something else that you raise, which I think is also not well understood, is um, intersectionality.
0: Yes.
2: Well, I'd like you to to proceed there. Would you like to sort of talk about that?
0: Okay. So this this is where things get complicated. So I used to call myself an intersectional vegan. I don't anymore. Mm -hmm. Not because I'm opposed to the notion of intersectionality but because I understand what intersectionality is better. Mm-hmm. So intersectionality um, or intersectional feminism was a, a phrase that was coined by um, Kimberly Crenshaw
4: mm-hmm.
0: um, to describe the interactions and the, the intersections between um, misogyny, race and class that black women and femmes face. And as a concept that's been adopted and adapted and, and redefined over the years to include a lot of other um, areas um, of social justice. And a lot of people jumped to include veganism within intersectionality because it made sense, you know, the, the intersections between uh, racism and misogyny and classism and, you know, Disability and speciesism, and all these little intersecting areas. But the thing is, the the concept wasn't created with other animals in mind. So, when we're talking about intersectionality and its relationship with veganism, we're talking about how it applies as praxis rather than identity. Mm -hmm. So, it comes back to this idea of focus versus scope. Mm. So, you've got your focus, your scope. Should operate, or the way I view it, the scope should operate um, with intersectionality in mind as an influence over your praxis, as opposed to adopting it as an identity without understanding the complexities, the, com- uh, the complexities, the nuances, or the history. Um, and I think one of the main problems is that so many people who jumped to just go, I'm an intersectional vegan, didn't actually understand myself included, didn't un- actually understand what it was mm-hmm. they were trying to embrace there. So now I move forward to more collective or total liberation,
4: mm-hmm.
0: which uses intersectionality as a, a theory for praxis, but doesn't adopt it as an identity.
2: Thanks for that, Christy. I think that's a really important point to make.
1: Yeah, and actually we played an interview with AFCO a little while ago on the show, and it's interesting her... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, really Sorry, great. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's great. It was great to have her featured on the show a little while ago. And and she also made the point that um, in the case of her writing, looking at connections between racism and speciesism, that they're so closely connected. It's kind of almost not two different um, oppressions intersecting. It's actually they're almost one in the same because they're so tied up together as well. So that was another interesting angle. I, d- I did want to say as well, I think probably the most important thing for me is that activists take those um, issues seriously and do take that total liberation approach. And then, of course, we can have discussions about terminology as well, but I think that is probably the, the most important thing. We are just about out of time. Um, we better let you go and we'll probably have you back on the show sometime, I'm sure, to discuss this further. Definitely. But I want to and just... I'll
0: make sure I'm actually on time to talk to you if that does happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no
1: worries. Um, but I thought before we go, just give you a chance to say anything that you wanted to say that you haven't got to or give a final plug for your book or anything like that before we let you go.
0: I think that what I'd like people to to take you know, is a message of hope. Um, mm-hmm. Things, especially with the focus with online advocacy at the moment, and the social upheaval of you know, the U.S. elections and COVID and uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, and you know this real influx of of, of you know, conflict and crisis and the, the messages that we're getting through social media at the moment, it does feel very very negative at the moment and and people are feeling really, really pulled down, take hope in the fact that we're having these discussions Mm. and we're talking to one another and that we are able to facilitate dialogues and there is a way forward so long as we're prepared to sit down and talk, really, really talk with one another as opposed to just, just going out and saying anything and doing anything for the point of veganism or for the point of animal liberation take hope in the fact that we can talk and there will always be dialogue.
1: Great. Um, we're going to finish up with a song, "Burn" by The Cure. Anything you want to say about that song um, before you go? Uh,
0: I've loved chosen. this song since, since high school. I'm um, <laughs> a big fan of The Crow. Yeah. And, yeah, this song just it, it takes me places.
1: Great. Fantastic. We're, we're not going to quite go to that song yet. We'll, we'll um, let you go, though, Christy. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.
0: Thank you.
1: Thanks. And, yeah, just to quickly finish up, check out our show 1-2 every Sunday. You can hear all of our shows via 3cr.org.au forward slash freedom of species, as well as on a range of podcast apps. If you do have any um, feedback, questions you'd like us to ask Christy if she comes back on the show, et cetera, you can email info at org. Uh, connect with us on social media. Stay tuned for Encycledelia, all things drugs, and good to hear them back on the air after a bit of a break. Uh, back on the air the last few weeks, so stay tuned for Encycledelia. Check out those um, shows via the check out their episodes via the three CR website. And uh, thanks for lining up this interview today, Caroline.
2: Mm, you're welcome. That's great.